Hey, good morning, everyone. So uh, you made it through the weather out there. Um, winter in Florida, it's like 60 degrees. We've got our long sleeves on. Uh, you know it's winter in Florida, one of the two weekends uh, that we have to endure where you actually have to wear shoes instead of your flip-flops. So uh, welcome. Glad you made it here. We're here together. Uh, it's been a minute since we've been in the book of Philippians, right? I mean, this is before Thanksgiving that we were in Philippians, and so we're going to be in it today. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter 2. If you brought your journal, maybe you brought that back with you, knew this was coming, uh, or if you have one, make sure you bring it uh, over the next weeks, uh, Philippians 2. And if you have a smart device, you can go there and we'll be in the ESV version. And so uh, I want to encourage you with this. Uh, when we get a chance to step into spaces like this, I would encourage you, yeah, like bring that Bible, grab one out there, open up your smart device and, and follow along with me. Engage with God's word, okay? Don't just listen to me because if you just listen to me, you, you will walk out the doors and, and some things will be different. But if you listen and read, then you're probably going to remember even more. But check this out. If you listen, read, and then maybe jot some notes down, you're going to take a lot away. So I would encourage you in that. Interact with the words of God. Don't just listen to it. Uh, and, and so grab that Bible, and we're going to be going there. So as you're heading there, uh, it's good to be back in this letter at what seems to be uh, for this church that was pretty strong and pretty healthy. And here's why I say that they were pretty strong and healthy. When you go through chapter one, there are some things that Paul notes there that he says that he's thankful for them. And so there, there's movement there. It says that they bring him joy. He, he says that he has a deep affection for them. And, and then it also says that they were generous. They were partnering with him in ministry. They were giving some of their resources and they were giving it to him so that he could participate in God's unfolding story, bringing the gospel to places where it had not been yet. And then it also says that there are leaders. He notes that there are leaders. In the first chapter, early on, it says that the, the letter is written to the overseers and to the deacons. So there's a leadership development going on there. As the gospel is taking root in this church, leaders are being developed. There are people that are absorbing that truth and then applying that truth, and they're being forever changed. So we see this going on in the, the first part of the letter. Now, I, I read this letter over and over and over this week from, from top to bottom. And you're like, whoa, you did? It's really not that big of a deal. There's only like 104 verses in Philippians. It's a, it's a simple letter. It's not like reading Genesis or something where there's like 1,500 plus. And you read that over and over, then you've got some like serious, serious biblical chops there, right? But uh, I, this is 104 verses, all right? So you could go home, read this like post taste and, and you'd be in the same place I am. Because as I was combing through it, processing it, studying it, here's what I discovered. And, and I was looking for this stuff. Nowhere in the letter does Paul address any major doctrinal issues where they kind of got off the beaten path and, and, and he needed to bring them back on because they had some, some uh, errors in their theology. They had pretty sound theology. Uh, I also didn't find any huge uh, moral failures that he had to hammer on some philosophy or ideology that's like what happens in Philippi stays in Philippi junk like that. Nothing, nothing going on there, right? So as you look at all of the things that he did and noted, 
And then you see there's no major theology that, that needs to be corrected. There's no moral issues. I mean, overall, what you see is a thriving church in this city called Philippi. And, and so it, and it's not just for them either. Because what we're about to dig into today, it is highly applicable to us here in 2020. It is going to hit us right where we live. And so who's ready to get back into Philippians as we dive in? Anybody? All right. That's some some energy. All right. That cold uh, air got you going. Here's what I want to do before we go. Can we pray together as we're about to open up God's word that we would just ask for a sensitivity in the deepest parts of our soul to actually take what's in here and and to do it. So here's what I would ask. You know, dads in here, pray over your family. Moms, pray over your families. Uh, Grandparents, pray over your families. Uh, Friends, pray over your friends. Pray for the people in front of you, behind you, beside you. Let's pray over each other, and then I'll close this out in just a sec. So for the next 30 seconds, a minute, just just pray that God would open up our eyes and, and create in us a sensitivity to want what he wants for us, all right? Spirit of God, meet us here in this place now. And as we open your word and we, we interact with these words, I pray that you would speak to us in ways that would forever change us. And we would walk out these doors differently because we have come face to face with what you have uh, invited us into, what you are encouraging us in, and what you are leading us in is no small thing. This is a sacred space. And we welcome you here. Your word tells us where there are two or three gathered together that you are here. So we know that you're here. So now make us aware of your presence by speaking to us through your holy word. Thank you for the gift that it is to us that we could know you and make you known by interacting with the pages of, of, uh, that are in this book. That you don't hide yourself, that you have made yourself known. What a gift. Thank you for it. Now guide my my heart and mind uh, to declare Jesus in every way. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, let's jump in. Verse one of chapter two in Philippians. Paul writes this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now let's peel back into the first verse here in chapter two, there's a word that starts us out and it's the word so. 
And that word so is a linking word. It's like the word therefore. When you come across that word, something that he has said beforehand is linking us to what he's getting ready to say. And that's how so works as well. So is a linking word that says, here's what I've said before in light of what we just read. Well, in light of what I just said, Take what we just read and pay attention to that. So the so is, is goes back to verse 27 in chapter 1. So go just a little bit ahead of where we just were. Verse 27 says this. Only let your manner of life, those three words, manner of life, circle those, highlight those, notate that because we'll come back to that in just a sec. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that, in other words, here's the outflow when you do that, that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. All right, so it ties us right there. That word manner of life, Those three words in the original language is is the word polis, which is where we get the word city. And and what Paul is doing here is he's bringing to light the reality that that these guys are Roman citizens and, and they've been operating out of the customs and the rites and the rituals of that society, understandably so, right? They they live in that space. They would they would do just like we do in our current environment. But what he is saying is, you are now subjects of another kingdom. You are citizens in another kingdom, a higher kingdom with a different king, a king above all kings. And that is that you are now a citizen in the kingdom of God. And so the, the, the way that that city rolls or that kingdom rolls, you, you are to operate in, the, in those customs, in those rituals, according to those ways of life. And so it's now subject to who Jesus is and what he has done. And and so it's informed by the way and will of Jesus. So the gospel now, it, it informs everything that we do. It guides our attitudes, our actions, our thoughts, our behaviors. Everything about life is informed by being a citizen in the kingdom of God, subjected to Jesus, the leader in that space. That's, he's, he's brought us to that, that thought. He says, understand that. You are a citizen in that place. And so, now we go to verse 2, or, or chapter 2. He said, so, if there is any encouragement in Christ, right? If there is any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, right? In light of that citizenship, You should be marked by the plans and purposes of God. And then he's doing a little compare and contrast right here. If if you were in Rome, right? Like you're living in Rome, uh, Roman culture, right? This is the way that you lived before, but now you live this way in the kingdom of God. A little compare and contrast going on to point out the difference in the old life, the old way of thinking, the old customs, the old processing. And, And this is how it's supposed to roll in light of being a citizen of the kingdom of God, right there in these verses. How, did, how, he, blows, how he rolls this out, it, it, it's mind-blowing. It's staggering. It's really, really challenging stuff. And so right here in the, the second word, if, that word if is a powerful word, right? And, and as he rolls that out, it makes it sound like it's kind of like a 50-50 toss-up that those things would actually happen. 
right? It's like, well, uh, is there any encouragement in Christ? Yeah, of course there is. Is there any comfort in love? Yeah. Any participation in the spirit? Yes. Any affection and sympathy? Is that reality? Yes, of course those things are really good. But it, he makes it sound by using the word if that it's like, maybe that'll happen for you and maybe it won't, right? It's kind of, it's kind of iffy. That's the word, if. But here's what I learned as I was studying this passage. This is what is called in the original language, a first class conditional which is not a 50-50 thing. In fact, what it is, is it states a fact. And so a word that helps us understand what Paul is getting at here is a higher word than if, because it's not a, a toss-up. What, what would a better word here that's a better descriptor is the word because, but, but by cause, as a citizen in the kingdom of God, by cause of that, this is the outflow of how that rolls. So look how it reads now. So because there is encouragement in Christ, because there is comfort from love, because there is participation in the spirit and because there is affection and sympathy, right? So he's getting us to think. He's getting us to, to pay attention because you are a citizen of a higher kingdom that is led by Jesus because of that, he now leads you into spaces because you, you have been rescued from your sin, because you, are, you have the spirit of God living in you, taking residence in your life and leads you to a life of obedience to resemble Jesus in every way and to honor God. Because you are loved by God, he will never leave you. Because Jesus has been constantly interceding for you before the Father, because the Spirit of God inspired mankind to write down these words, now we have his word right at our fingertip that we can go to any time to discover his will and way. Because you have been repurposed with eternal significance, because you have been resourced with all that heaven has to offer, because you are in Christ, and because you have received mercy, because you have received love, because you have received forgiveness and hope and life through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, in light of all of that, and if that means anything to you, then here's what I want you to do. And then he goes on into verse two. He says this, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He has pushed off all the periphery things that so often kind of drag us down. He says, I want you guys to have a, a singular focus here. I want you to put aside agendas I want you to set aside rivalry. I want you to set aside uh, all of these other things like the arguments and, and all of those things in light of being a citizen in the kingdom, in light of all that God has done on your behalf. I want you to focus in on the gospel and how it takes root in your life and the lives of others. Be unified in that going forward. Sounds easy enough, right? You're like, okay, I mean, in light of all that God has done and all that he has equipped me to live uh, according to his way in Christ, I'm like, okay, I can be unified. I can kind of put aside the agenda, the rivalry, the, you know, uh, the arguments. It's, it's like, okay, yeah, that's a pretty big stack of things that he's done. That's the least that I could do, right? Sounds easy enough. Until 
you get to James chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. And so I'm just going to read this in my notes here. Check this out. Sounds easy enough to pull off, but then we get this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Ah, ha, ha. That's hard. That just got super personal. Anybody else feel like, I think he read my diary. You know, like I think somebody is like looking in my mailbox. Somebody check my inbox because that's private. Nobody should have known that about me. That's serious stuff right there. That's serious stuff. Basically, what James has just told us is the reason that you don't get along is you didn't get what you wanted. (laughs) Wait, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, see you next week, right? Like, wow, that's hard news. I didn't get what I wanted, so I'm going to create this argument over here. I didn't get what I wanted, so I'm going to create this faction over here. I'm gonna, I didn't get what I wanted, so I'm going to argue over here. I, I didn't get what I wanted, trouble, you know, bad news. That's what happened. How do we move past that? It sounded easy when it was like citizenship, that's awesome. All that Jesus has done for us, that's awesome. Be unified, okay, but you didn't get what you wanted. Uh Uh-oh, what do we do with that? How do we move past that? Try harder, read a few books, a few blogs, just pray about it, go out those doors, it doesn't change. We just kind of bump into the same problem over and over. Anybody feel me there? Like, it's, it's just hard. That's so hard. I struggle with that. And that's what I love, what Paul, where Paul takes us next in these next couple verses. And, and, and he unlocks the door and he provides a way for us to live in that freedom. He provides a way. All right. So uh, here's what I want to do. This is going to be super easy to read, all right? So what we're gonna, where we're going to go next, super easy to read what we're about to read, really hard to do it. It's going to be really easy for us to do this. We're, I'm going to put these verses on the screen, and we're going to read them out loud together a couple times. And and as we're reading it, I want you to pay attention to what we're really reading here. Again, super easy to just go ahead and, you know, read what's on the screen. Really, really hard to walk out those doors and go actually put it to work. When we go back to work, when we go back with our families, when we hang out with people that uh, we may have some issue with. You ready? Let's read this out loud together. It'll be on the screen behind me. Uh, Philippians 2 verses 3 and 4. You ready? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let's go one more time. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I don't want to move too fast past this. I want us to linger just a little bit here, marinate in that 
Because again, easy to read it and really hard to pull off. At least it is for me. It is for me. And so I, I want to drop a few quotes that will allow us to not move on too fast. Beth Moore said this of humility. There is no greater burden we will carry in our lives than the weight of our own ego. Let me read that one more time. There is no greater burden we will carry in our lives than the weight of our own ego. Pastor John Stott said this. He said, at every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy and humility, our greatest friend. You see, guys, this idea of humility, considering others before you considered yourself, to the people who lived in Philippi, this was a foreign concept to them. This is in no way, shape, or form how they lived. None. Like they, did, they didn't do this way because as a Roman citizen, you did not defer to anyone ever. That's not how it worked. You, you didn't give up your seat of influence. You sought the seat of influence. You were aimed at that. You didn't take the low road. You consistently took the higher road that would put you at an advantage. That's how they were living. And so when he, Paul, launches this out to a church in a highly stratified city, in this church that is positioned in this city, that they're now finding out, hey, I'm a citizen in the kingdom of God. My life is supposed to roll differently now. They're trying to figure out how all this works because all they've ever known is, how is this going to work? We've got a Roman citizen in the same room as a Jewish immigrant. How does that flow? or a man in the same room as a woman because the women were not highly valued in that society. How is that supposed to work? Or a master and a bondservant under the same roof, learning the same things. How is that going to work? And it's no different today. How do we sit aside? Uh, we can, can sit aside, uh, across the aisle from, well, they have a different uh, political persuasion than I do. How's that going to work? They think about this philosophy or ideology different than I do. How's that going to work? I mean, this is challenging stuff. You see, but in every way, this was crazy talk to them. They're like, what? When they read this letter, this is, this is odd. This is, we don't know these words. We don't know this way of thinking. But when it comes to identifying as a citizen in the kingdom of God, this is the way that it is supposed to be. And here's what's crazy. It would be easy for us to think, well, yeah, I mean, that's for those people back in Philippi. That's not for us, right? Like they struggled with that. But in our culture, like we value humility, don't we? We hold it up as a virtue. We want friends who are humble. We're like, oh, I, I mean, they're kind of a, a humble person. Like, I really like so-and-so. You know, and we value that in ourselves, don't we? We want to we, we be humble as well. And so we look at this, it's like, well, this, this makes sense. I mean, it's a, it, it wasn't a virtue for them, but it's a, a virtue for us. Here's the challenge in that, though. When it comes to serving others, being a servant, and being humble, 
Honestly, we want that for everybody else, not for us. Serious, like, because how often are we actually hunting down that trail? It'd be great if somebody else was humble, somebody else was a servant, like, you know, I, I value that. I would just rather see it in them. I don't necessarily want to train for that. You know, I don't want to engage in that kind of rigorous training. Like who sets out in the day and it's like, all right, ready to go be a servant. Watch out. Here it goes. That's just not part of our culture. We don't think that way. And as I thought about this, it reminded me of a game that I used to play as a kid. And some of you guys probably played this as well. Do you ever remember playing King of the Hill? Yeah, that was an awesome game. That was an awesome game. You found a rock pile. You found a big dirt pile. If you were doubly blessed and God was, had great favor on you, you found a log where it's like a four foot drop so that if anybody came after you, you're like, do it, go ahead. You know, and then they thought twice about coming back at you, right? But I'm just saying like that, that king of the hill, what is it about? You stand at the top of the hill and it's about scraping, scratching, clawing, doing everything you can to knock that person off so that you can be at the top of the heap. That's what it's all about. Then once you're there, then any would-be conqueror, you fend them off by, you know, doing whatever it takes to maintain your place as king of the hill. Right? Fun game, simple game, you know, but I'm not so sure that we've graduated from that as adults. I'm not so sure we've gotten really good at moving away from that. Dominance is, earned, is learned early on, and I found that it bleeds right into adulthood. I've seen it in my life. I've walked with others. You see, we, we, we naturally go this way. And we buy into this idea that somehow we're going to find significance in taking the next rung on the ladder and amassing status symbols that show that we are the king of the hill. It's a scary endeavor. About 16 years ago, I stood in the ruins of this city of Philippi. I've been there. I read this entire letter, all 104 verses, sitting in the amphitheater that's there. I walked in the ruins. I've been to the river where Lydia was baptized. Uh, I've walked in places where Paul himself has walked. And, and it was impactful. It was really interesting. Uh, and, and so in the land of the ancient small letter G gods of the Greeks, there's an ancient myth that is out there that Zeus and Hermes left Mount Olympus, came down, hung out with the common man, and they were going about their way, just kind of put on a disguise, walking amongst the people, and they were just trying to see how the people were giving homage to the gods. And so they were walking amongst all the people, kind of taking it all in. And then when they got what they finally needed to see, they threw off their disguises and put on display their Olympian splendor and power and strength. That's how it rolled for them. You see, they took on the outward expression of a servant, but it was just a disguise. It wasn't real for them. In not so similar fashion, Jesus came. As a common man, he put on that disguise. He left perfection in heaven where 24-7, 365 angelic beings circle around him. Holy, holy, holy. 
And he left that, comes here, and he puts on the disguise of a common man living a common life, but it was never a trick. It was never a trick. He never threw off his disguise. Servanthood and humility marked the very fabric of Jesus's life. And here's what's so amazing to me. Remember when Jesus was teaching and he said, if you have seen me, you have seen the father, which means if what we see in Jesus is servanthood and humility, then right at the core of our great God is servanthood and humility. And we can be assured that if the route that Jesus took to his glorification involved that, then we are going to follow him in that direction as well. It is a necessary path for us as well. And that's what makes this next set of verses so powerful. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus had a crew around him and he said this, he called them together and his disciples. And he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. You don't take that route. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man, a name he adopted from the book of Daniel, the son of man, speaking of him, prophesying about him, did not come to to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So taking the next rung on the ladder, moving upward. And and let me pause right here. If you've been promoted, that's okay. I'm not saying, you know, like you should feel like the case of the guilties. Because you're like, well, I just got promoted. Should I feel bad about that? No, no, that's okay. It's okay that you got promoted. That's not bad. But when it becomes your all-consuming passion, when you'll do whatever you can to kick, scrape, scratch your way to the top, if it becomes that, then you have something that you'd better check. But you see, it's if we think that taking the next rung on the ladder is where it's at, if we think king of the hill is where it's at, what, what Jesus has just told us is not so with you as a citizen in this kingdom, right? We don't, We don't bring honor to God by ascending into significance, but rather by descending into greatness. Following the pattern that was set in motion by the leader of the kingdom, we are now in and to whom we declare allegiance to. And this is super powerful, guys. This is so powerful because this isn't about doing this because we're supposed to. Right, you're like, okay, you know, I'll take on the servanthood, humble thing, you know, I'll just go do it. You know, it's it's gonna be a horrible week. You know what I mean? Like, uh, that's not it. It's not, oh, there you go. You know, have a great 2022. You know, good luck with that. Tell me how that goes. You know, that's not it. It's not this heavy, like, here's what you're supposed to do. Now go do it and be glad for it. That's not it. But what Paul has done here is he's moved it away from this duty that you have to. And now it's a desire. 
This is a desire of our heart. When we think about being invited in to a citizen, as a citizen of a new kingdom, and all that God has done, is doing, and will do. And then we, we take on this, this attitude and behavior of a servant and a humble one at that. When we do that, it is no longer this duty, but a desire. It's moving away from some legalistic reaction to a gospel-infused response in light of all of God's greatness and the invitation he extends to us to follow him. That is a big difference. Do you see it? That is a great gift that he is doing to, to lead us in this direction because it allows us to then take our lives and to lay them at his feet. To say, here's my life. I, I want to live according to the customs and the rituals and the will and the way of Jesus. So help me get there, God. Help me to live as a citizen in your kingdom. I want to move in that direction. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says that we're supposed to take every thought captive and make it obedient to who? To Christ. That's where we're going. Uh, Romans chapter 15. Verses 5 and following. Here's what Paul writes to the church in Rome. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together, not all by yourself, but together you may be, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we get to do. And guys, if we're going to get our arms around this idea of bringing glory to God by living as a citizen of, the, of his kingdom that displays humility and servanthood kind of sets aside the agendas, sets aside the squabbles, sets aside the rivalries, sets all of that and with a singular focus, make him our pursuit so that we can live according to his will and way. When we move in that direction, then he begins to show up in amazing ways. And, and I think as we begin to put our arms around that, uh, C.S. Lewis has some pretty great advice about how we can pull that off. How broken, busted up people like us can actually go about doing what we've just read in Philippians 2. Now, before I read this quote from his uh, book, Mere Christianity, I, I want you to know, as, I as I'm about to read this, if I had come up with this quote and I read it and I was like, guys, I thought of something. I, I think this is a way to do it. You, you would listen to this and you would go, well, that's kind of simple. You know, like I always thought something was kind of off about Dave. Like that's just too easy. You know what I mean? But, but it, because it's C.S. Lewis, this gifted theologian, you know, storyteller, great mind, it's going to be profound. Okay. So uh, I'm telling you, this is so basic, but check this out. If we want to get our arms around bringing glory to God by living as a citizen of his kingdom, living in humility and servanthood, sets aside all of the periphery, we're unified in it. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. It helps to pretend to be Jesus. Just as a child might pretend to be a soldier or a shopkeeper, just as a child's imaginary games help the child to develop skills that will later be used, useful as a real soldier or shopkeeper. So the game of pretending to be Christ inevitably reveals to the believer places for improvement and guides the believer toward spiritual 
maturity. Very simple, but yet very powerful and profound. It almost sounds too easy, doesn't it? Like, what if we went out of here and it's like, well, I guess in this situation that is difficult, in this situation that has been uh, very frustrating, I guess I'm just going to pretend to be like Jesus. Sounds simple. Almost too easy. But what if we did it? What if we actually did it? What if we actually took that on? What if that led us to then take uh, takes time and pour over the pages of scripture and to look for Jesus in everything that we're reading? And then that fuels our prayer time where we go to the spirit of God and we say, you know what I just read and what's going on in here? Two different things. Make my life resemble what is in your authoritative word. That's what I want to look like. That's what I want to be like. Everything about me, I I need that to happen. Would you move me in that direction? And then what if we meditated on that and asked hard questions of the text and started thinking like, well, why am I not like that? Because guys, as I read these verses that we're in, I'm not like that very often. I want to be though. But what if I started asking questions like, why am I not like that? What's holding me back? Why do I push away from that? What in there is a challenge for me? And then what can I submit to God and say, will you develop that in me so that then you can work powerfully through me to make your name known for those that you put in my sphere of influence? That I would ask hard questions. Maybe it would lead me to to fasting where I learned to say no to myself. And, and, and I uh, set aside a meal where I'm like, no, I'm not going to eat. Instead, I'm going to spend that time in God's word and in prayer. And I'm going to listen for his still small voice. Or I, I didn't watch that show that I'd been binging all Christmas and I just have two shows left. Maybe I set it aside and I say, nope, I'm going to take that time and I'm going to spend time in the Bible. And I'm going to listen for what God is saying so that I can be in line with where he is moving and join him in that work. Guys, could you imagine if we did that? Again, I've stood in the ruins of Philippi and guess what? The city is no longer there. But you know what? The church prevailed. The church prevailed. It happened, right? Because living as a humble citizen in God's kingdom, guys, it works. It's truth. This is the invitation that we have to follow Jesus into this space. This is what we've been invited into. Like it's not something that's just a great idea. It is the the path that we must take as we follow Christ. This is what we get to do. It works. And what has happened generation after generation after generation is people heard this truth. They bent their lives around this truth. And then they ran the race well. And they carried that baton to the next generation, handed it off to them. They bent their lives around these truths. And then they lived it. They ran the race well. They handed it off to the next generation. And here we are, 2022. And in our generation, we're now carriers of this truth. Let's run the race really well so that the next generation has a shot at bending their lives around what we've been challenged to do as well. This is what we get to do. This is our privilege, guys. And so Paul says this in closing in verse five, he says, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, it's already yours in possession. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is already yours. 
So you can unlock this. You want to think like Jesus? You want to see what he was processing as he was down here on this planet? You want to see what he was going through? Who would like to learn how to think like Jesus? You want to study that? Good. Come back next week because that's exactly what we're going to do. All right. That's exactly what we're going to do. And it is going to be a bumpy ride. Buckle up because it is so challenging yet so freeing. And this is going to be a great journey that we get to go through Philippians, continue in this space. And we'll see you next week as we understand how Jesus was thinking that then brought us to a whole new level of living. Let's pray together. Jesus. Everything that we have read today is so hard, so challenging to the way that we currently live and the way that our culture leads us to live. And it's every conceivable thought, God, is we walk out those doors and we could easily just kind of go back to life as usual, but that is not what you have called us to. We as followers of yours, are citizens in a new kingdom, led by a king who is above all kings, a king who traversed this minefield on this planet and navigated it in a way that was humble and servant-hearted. And since you did that, I have no doubt, God, that you will lead us in that same path. And I thank you that you do lead us because we don't have to walk out of here today trying to figure it out. How are we going to pull this off? How's this going to flow? But now we get to walk with you. And as you lead us, you begin to develop these things in us so that we have the mind of Christ. And then it begins to shape our heart for the things that matter most to you. And then there's an, a natural outflow of our lives that then begins to take all that we're thinking and all that we're experiencing in our journey with you to, to make you known to those around us so that they can experience you in the way that we've experienced you. And that's not gonna come aside from um, being put in a space where we have to think of others more than we think of ourselves. It's not gonna happen apart from humility, which means we are going to have to change. And we can't change ourselves. So we come to you and we ask you to move in us unmistakably. Create in us a desire for your word, a desire to spend time in prayer, a desire to experience you, a desire to follow the path and to live as citizens in this new kingdom that take into account all that you have done for us, God, and that we would have a singular focus of our lives that through servanthood and humility would begin to put us in places that help us to make you known that people will see the great God and Savior that you are. And it's in your powerful and matchless name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Mm -hmm.